Welcome to the Symposium of the Lotus Eaters. Today we're joined by Carl and Bo. Hello. And we're going to talk about Machiavelli's Discourses on Livy. We're going to finish our discussion that we started last time with part one. Today it's part two. And this time we're going to talk about slightly different issues. We're not going to be that political. But we are going to talk about the war machine of a, of a republic or a principality, uh, leadership, and conspiracies. Uh, the chapter on conspiracies that Machiavelli has on the third book of Discourses on Livy is the longest chapter, and you can definitely sense that he was writing and he was ecstatic while doing so. He, he seemed to have an affinity for scheming. He strikes me as the sort of man who's been involved in a few conspiracies. Maybe, yeah, but we'll never know. <laughs> yeah, we'll never know, yeah, exactly. That, yeah. That's the thing, he was, yeah. he was such a master of yeah. it that he, he never got caught. Well, that's the thing. It's like I've got this really long chapter about conspiracies, and you know, my name is Machiavelli. I'm the yeah. I'm I'm literally a byword for scheming for power. But I was never involved in any conspiracy. So, you know, I mean, I've never been caught for anything. So it, I just happen to know that it all know somehow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That we know. Yeah, exactly. He's never Some been caught for anything. Some people cover their traces so so well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing. Never know. And he just happens to write the thickest chapter on this on conspiracies. And so I just know all about it. Just trust me. Don't ask how I know. It. You yeah. know, it's it's really interesting. I think. Yes. So, um, let us say one thing to remind our audience of what Machiavelli is doing. Essentially, he is looking back to the past in order to seek counsel for the future. Mm -hmm. This is a sort of a renaissance thing, as you said, but also it is the only thing we can do. All we have in order to guide us is the past, because we're backward-looking creatures, in a sense. We live in the present, but all our minds are geared to ideas that we have embraced from the past. So, well, in Machiavelli's case, I mean, he had a lot of personal experience as well. Yes. So the the fact that he had extensive personal experience as a diplomat and a, a statesman in Florence, as well as being a scholar of the ancient world, actually makes him a really rich resource, doesn't it? Yes. And uh, he really disliked Christianity, and I will share a quote of his, but. Bo, I think you wanted to add something in... You know, I was just going to say the general point, um, that the, the present is the product of the past. Yeah. You can only hope to understand the present by, and by having an appreciation of the past. Yes. That's why I don't really understand people that are not interested in history at all, yeah. or sort of actively don't ever learn or read about it, but they, they think they know the world around them. They, they don't. And this, can't. Is, this is quite an unthinkable thing as well, really, in every era up until this one. Like, the past was incredibly important to everyone. I mean, like, in, in almost every uh, ancient text, lineage is an insanely important thing that they constantly gone about. Like, one of the, I saw a meme the other day about the Iliad, where it's this guy saying, and so-and-so, whose father was this and this, killed that, and this is the whole book. And it's like, yeah, that is the whole book. You know, you get the lineage of each person killed, and because the past, how that led up to that point, was just so important. It was inconceivable that you could talk about now without reference to what had happened before. And yet in the modern world, we don't think about it. Do you ever speak to somebody about something going on in, in our current times? And uh, you ask them a question, you're having a conversation or a discussion, and you mention something from the history of that, mm. and they've never heard of it, they don't know anything yeah. about it. And you realise that um, their view is, is extraordinary. It must, by definition, be extremely low resolution. Got no idea, really, what they're talking about. 
even if it's not low resolution, it's extremely two-dimensional, right? Because, okay, they might have a really detailed map of what's going on exactly right now, but if they don't know what happened yesterday, then they don't know what the trends are like. I was talking to someone about the Arab-Israeli conflict, and I mes mentioned Yasser Arafat, and they were like, who? And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> okay, well, don't well, worry, man. I'm going to need a few hours to fill you in on, yeah, on a bit stuff, much there, but yeah. just don't worry about it. Let's talk about something else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, you're right. <laughs> Machiavelli thinks that Christianity made Italian soft, and he has, I can start with a quote here. Yeah. And considering, therefore, why all the peoples of ancient times were greater lovers of liberty than those of our own day, I believe this arises from the same cause that today makes men less strong, which I believe lies in the difference between our education and that of antiquity, based upon the difference between our religion and that of antiquity. For while our religion has shown us truth and the true path, it also makes us place a lower value on worldly honor, whereas the pagans, who greatly valued honor and considered it the highest good, were more ferocious in their actions. There's, there's a bit more to that as well, uh, that he adds, but... I, w I will say more on this. Right, right. He, he, I, I, don't, I don't think he's wrong that there has to be some kind of consequence of holding different values, right? Like there's, there's, no, there's no doubt that you would prefer as a random, like if you would conduct a sort of Rawlsian veil of ignorance experiment, you would definitely choose a Christian civilization over a pagan civilization. Because you might turn up in the pagan civilization as a slave or the child of a slave. You know, whereas in a Christian civilization, at worst, you're probably just going to be poor. You know, it's not quite the same. So you, there, there's definitely a, a difference in values, and there's got to be a consequence of the difference of values in the kind of people who are created by the civilization. And I don't think he's wrong to say that the pagans were much more um, power-oriented and yes. oriented in this world. Uh, in fact, it seems to be literally all they thought about, actually. Uh, the next world was just something that happened that you didn't really want to happen. Um, and so they were a lot more um, bellicose. I think. Yes. And there was also the tendency and uh, drive to leave a lasting legacy or a name behind so people mm. would, would commemorate them. Yeah. Um, One thing I'd say, I suppose, is um, bear in mind Machiavelli and his place in history and his physical place in the world so he was obviously uh, a Florentine in the late 15th, early 16th century. So immediately you see that he would have contended with and had to deal with the, the papal states, <laughs> the Pope really. Florence uh, and Rome were at odds with each other. Um, definitely the, whoever's uh, uh, on the papal throne would be a political rival even a military rival of uh, whoever's ruling in Florence, whether it be a republic or whether it be ruled by the Medici at various points. So in Machiavelli's mind, you can see he's not dealing with sort of the 21st century Church of England, Anglican type, wishy-washy Christians. He's dealing with badass 15th century popes that have got armies. Someone like Cesare Borgia, the scourge of central Italy. He'll lead armies to your town and besiege you that sort of Christianity. So it's not that the, it's not that the Christianity he came up against was, you know, truly, truly weak, like the Anglican church in the 21st century. Um, it's not like that. However, um, obviously the point he's making seems to ring true to me, to anyone really, that sort of um, 
ancient pagans would be uh, sort of more more brutal, make it's not quite just more word, martial, right, right? Yeah, more martial, more inclined right, towards yeah. war, and uh-huh. it seems to just be totally just you can't read any of their writings without getting that feeling, right? Like almost everything, like if if your sacred text is literally the war in Ilium, okay, then I'll imitate what I see in the sacred text, right? You know, and some of those uh, late fifteenth century, early sixteenth century popes, the popes during the when Machiavelli lived or through his adulthood, some were more or less aggressive militarily than others, yeah. more or less aggressive politically, um, uh, more or less involved in, uh, you know, like espionage and conspiracies and assassinations and all that sort of thing. Again, some of the, the Borgia popes among the worst, worst ones. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just think that's important to remember. We're not talking about, because when you just say Christianity, it does feel it's, like an Anglican church it, meeting on a Sunday yeah, with tea and cakes, doesn't it? Right, yeah, yeah. exactly. You've got to be yeah. very careful to separate yeah. different types of Christianity at different times in history. I have the impression that he would uh, say that Christianity right now makes people even weaker. Well, yeah, he'd be disgusted. I, I think that uh, right. I, that's my impression <laughs> of what he would say for now. Because hmm. I think he was writing this around 1513 to 1517. And wasn't it 1517 when Luther started publishing his 95 Theses? It would have been around then. It It must have been around then, for sure. Machiavelli, for all we know, was thinking of Christianity as Orthodox versus Catholic for the most part. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So Italy, Central Italy certainly, was absolutely Catholic. Yes, 100%. And I'm pretty certain that he he was enough of a thinker to think that just because someone uh, occupies a particular position in a religious mm. structure it doesn't mean that they practice the virtues of that religion but yeah. his issue was most was mostly concerned with the kinds of virtues that that religion praised so mm. he continues his quote here where he says moreover our religion has defined the supreme good as humility objection and contempt of worldly things ancient religion located it in greatness of mind strength of body, and in all the other things, apt to make men the strongest. And if a religion requires that you have inner strength, it wants you to have the capacity to endure suffering more than to undertake brave deeds. This way of living seems, therefore, to have made the world weak and to have given it over to be plundered by wicked men who are easily able to dominate it. Since, in order to go to paradise, most men think more about enduring their pains than about avenging them. So th- this, I think, is a great point. Um, and honestly, I, I think it's really well observed on Machiavelli's part because you know, he's writing a long time before people like Nietzsche make essentially the same point. So the fact that he was quite ahead of the curve on that, I think, is really interesting. But the, the, you, I think your point is really strong as well because, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of Innocent III uh, and Arnold Maury conquering Bezirs and being like, kill them all, God will know his own. Right? It's, mm. it's not like... Mm. You know, during the during the Albigensian Crusade, it's not like the Christians didn't fight. Um, but what he's saying is the problem with having a general value of humility and the endurance of suffering is that this leads to an end of political freedom for a city or the people of a city, because it allows one person who doesn't follow the Christian 
moral dictums to, excess, in, in essence, exercise sort of pagan will to power. And in previous, in the, in the ancient world, the people of the city would have said, okay, well, I need to know what to do. Well, Achilles would have done this. And so they get their spears, get their shields, and then form a mob and drive the tyrant out or something like that, and the Tarquins, right? Um, but that doesn't happen with the Christians because they go, oh, you'll be rewarded in the next life. Well, I guess I'll just sit here then. And it's not to say that Christians couldn't or wouldn't be warlike or anything like that, but this kind of general drip of morality into the civilization sort of just lowers the tone of the, the warlike nature of the, of the civilization itself, I think is what he's get, getting at. Whereas in, a, in the ancient world, it would have just been all of the peasants up in arms at that point, because that's all they would have known to do. And mm. to be honest with you, it would have made more sense. Frankly. Um, well, one other thing I'd mention is um, the, 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 the ghost of St. Francis, St. <laughs> um, Francis of Assisi, um, in, again, in Italy, um, in the 15th and 16th century, mm. um, was very important, this idea of um, sort of aestheticism or to be deliberately, to live deliberately in poverty and to always turn the other cheek and certainly never cause physical harm to people and love animals and all that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, not martial, certainly not martial. And now I just said sort of the opposite thing about the popes. Yeah, perhaps the well, not perhaps often, the popes would uh, act as any other prince. Um, but a lot of people, normal people, um, were yeah very uh, sort of quite unwarlike. Mm. Um, you had sort of professional mercenaries and things. There always be men, yeah, um, that are up for war and fighting. Um, but yeah, particularly in the sort of fourteenth, fifteenth century in Italy. Um, the example of the life of St. Francis was, um, as I understand it, um, really prevalent. Yeah. Um, it was the thing to, to do to, um, you know, not go around plundering. Which is a nice sentiment. You know, always on the search for gold and you kill anyone that gets in your way. So not to do that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, um, there are definitely tangible differences in the kind of quality of the civilization. Like I would rather have lived then than in you know than a thousand years before. It you know, would have been a lot rougher, doubtless, you know. And so the, there's there's obviously a strong case in a civic way for Christianity. But I think Machiavelli does make a fair point, which is yeah, okay. But you are also kind of unmanning the the populace if you know every authority they speak to tells them don't really do anything and just wait for the next life. Then there's got to have some effect on the bellicosity of the civilization, you know? I want to relate it a bit to something that Aristotle was saying at the end of the Nicomachean Ethics about the life of reason, mm. where he was saying that there's a distinction between the life of contemplation, the life of theoretical reason, and the life of practical reason, which is the life that Machiavelli is talking about. Mm. So what Machiavelli says here, at least in this translation, the way we read it, is that men right now are praising contemplative men not active ones. Mm. And he is re reacting against the addition of extra Christian virtues to the traditional four ones that we spoke of uh, in the previous symposium. And he's talking about now humility, objection, forgiveness, because the issue is here that if the whole idea in life is to not harm anyone, to 
constantly try to forgive and to try to endure pain instead of avenging it, as he says, then no wonder society is going to be vulnerable to those people we don't want it to be, be vulnerable to. To the Caesar Borgias of the world. Exactly. And I think this is the main problem with people who are saying that it is a good thing to somehow not occupy the position of the active life, to not be involved mm. into politics. Because the problem is that if we, we are not involved into it, we allow a free pass to the, to the Borgias. And one thing to say that this is completely different from the pagan instruction that to live the good life, you have to crush your enemies, see them driven before you and hear the lamentations of the women. Mm. So it's, yeah. <laughs> Something I could say about, um, about Christianity is that yeah. you, uh, the way I was brought up in the Church of England in the late 20th century and uh, <laughs> the way a lot of um, Anglicans and even Protestants, it's this idea of, you know, turn the other cheek, um, love your enemy, not just forgive them, love them. Yeah. Um, there's all that sort of thing. But also that can be found in the Gospels yeah. is uh, Christ turning over the tables of the, of the, in the, in the, the temple. Merchant, yeah. And um, there's a line just before he's arrested where he says to his apostles something like, sell your cloaks and buy a sword. Yeah. So there are certain lines if you want to. Um, you can say, no, it's totally okay to defend yourself at least. Yes. At least to defend yourself. It's okay to use a bit of violence if, um, if you know, something's really, really sacrilegious or evil is going on. Yeah. It's okay to turn over their tables and things. Um, so, just to say, you know, the 20th century version, I'm, and anyone out there really is probably familiar with, um, there are harder line versions, readings that you, that you could go with. And in the past, people have gone with. I just think, for example, when the first crusade was called, some people said, but doesn't it say, doesn't like in the, in the actual 10 commandments even, doesn't it say you shouldn't kill? Yeah. Uh, and so, but you're asking me to go out to the Holy Land and kill. How does that, how can you square that? And they said, oh, it's okay. You know, it's, that only applies to Christians. There's, so in other words, in the past, there have been a lot uh, more bloody versions of Christianity, um, a lot more hardline versions. Yes, but it seems to me that Machiavelli is talking about the population in general, hmm. because it could be the case that people within a structure have vested interest in promoting their power and mending and amending particular doctrines. But Machiavelli seems to me to be talking about the whole population. It, for me, it he thinks that the whole population of Italy has become weaker than they were during the Romans. Mm. And it seems to me that he would say the same f for us today. Well, I, I can see where he's coming from as well, because whenever I read about ancient Rome, it always strikes me that the, the aristocracy had to be very warlike. And then you had like, a, kind of like a, a pyramid of, you know, the bellicosity of, of you know. Yeah. And so the... But the, the, the effect of Christianity seems to have kind of shrunk that. So you've only got a small number of people who are not really Christian, basically, particularly warlike. And this, I think what he's arguing is that this is allowing these people to dominate society and to, yes. to, to tyrannize people. Whereas in previous eras, 
the, the warlike nature of the general populace would have been like, well, no, no we're not going to stand. We're going to revolt. We're going to take up arms. We're going to win our freedom. You know, and the, the, the tendency towards that is just lowered under a Christian society. I think if we think of it in terms of freedom, it seems to me that Christianity is highlighting spiritual freedom, which is a kind of transcendence mm. from the material world. Mm -hmm. And this is, uh, you could say that it has elements of stoicism there that mm. dissociate yourself from the pain. And, the, and basically the emblem, the moral exemplar is Christ on a cross, mm. is Christ in pain who transcends it. Yeah. But it seems to me that this is one of the issues with focusing only on that liberty is that we lose all other kinds of liberties. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, and, I, I, I'm very sympathetic to Nietzsche's critique here where it's, you know, the aristocracy are the best because they have all the good things and they have all the good things because they're prepared to fight for them. And actually, that would probably benefit people in the real world if they would think, hang on, no, I do deserve these things. And so I've got to work for them. And it's a lot of struggle and strife to get good things, but it's worth it, right? So, one of the things that Machiavelli is, considered with, is concerned with is war. And he thinks that basically the fact that the Italians were weaker than they mm. were in the time of ancient Rome was particularly bad in a world that basically everywhere around us we, we see war. Well, there's constant wars in Italy from foreigners as well. Yeah. And he was basically saying that you need to, if you want to benefit your city, your republic or the principality you live in, you need to find out what the Romans did and emulate it. Because he, th he thought that his contemporaries were really bad with respect to military strategy, um, also conducting warfare, mm. battle formations, what they rested uh, upon fortresses, mercenaries, they thought that wealth is the sinew of warfare. Yeah. And he says, wealth is not the sinew of warfare. All of this is wrong. Is All of this is yeah. wrong, yeah. And he's right as well. I mean, this is the reason that Italy wasn't a great power in the Middle Ages. Yeah. And you had all of these great powers around taking advantage of it. Yeah, so in book two of uh, Discourses on Livy, he is focusing to a very large extent about mm. the war machine of a, of a republic or a principality. Yeah, this was easily my favorite part. Yeah. <laughs> I had a really feeling you would yeah, like I really it. enjoyed this. Yes, so basically, we can start by showing what he thought to be the two kinds of war. So, he thinks that there are basically two kinds. The wars that are fought from ambition, and the second that are a bit more devastating. We'll talk about them in a bit. I'll, I'll quote uh, what he says about the wars of the latter. But wars of ambition have to do with the ambition to expand an empire. Mm -hmm. And he thinks that they are dangerous, like any war is. It's to a, to a degree, it's fatal. But they're not as dangerous as the war of the latter kind. Why? Because very frequently, those who do conquer territories and they expand their empire, they're satisfied if the population they conquer just obeys their orders. So you could say that it's a kind of authoritarian... Uh, it's, rule. A, it's a conquest It's yes, in the most literal sense so long as the people obey what goes on in their mind doesn't really matter yeah. thus what matters is just obedience and, and he makes quite a large point of saying look when like the, you know, the Romans conquered Capua or something they didn't deprive the Capuans of their property they just have a new tax revenue basically yes. in a, a new source of manpower and so 
And he juxtaposed that with the war of uh, extirpation, or essentially what we call in modern-day genocide, mm. uh, which is we've come to displace you out of your land and take possession of the entire thing. Uh, and, yeah. He has a quote here that I can talk about the, these words that he say. He says, The other cause for war is when an entire people with all its families leaves a place driven either by famine or by war and goes to seek out a new location and a new province. Not to rule over it as those above do, he means those who conduct warfare from ambition, but rather to possess it, even the private property, and to drive out or murder its ancient inhabitants. And then he continues after a bit. Accordingly, for a prince or a republic that attacks a province, it is sufficient to destroy only those who are in command. But populations such as these need to destroy everyone since they wish to live off the resources that supported others. Mm -hmm. And he is obviously talking about mass movements of population from places that are a bit inhospitable mm. to other places that are a, bit, are a bit more hospitable. And basically what he says is that they're not just interested in having the inhabitants of the new region mm. to obey them. They either want to murder them or completely take, mm. uh, throw them away. And he's right to say that these are the worst kinds of wars as well. Yes. It's one thing, you know, the prince getting bumped off in the castle over there, and you're like, okay, I'll just I'll till my field, not my business. You know, I'll just keep paying my taxes to whoever the lord is, I don't care. And it's another to have a bunch of rampaging goths or something come in and slaughter everyone in the village. Yes. So, Because if he's looking back at Livy, again, let's remember he's talking about Livy, <laughs> um, it happened... But more, in, it seems, I think anyway, it happened more in the ancient world um, where a whole new people, maybe even completely separate ethnicity of people, essentially come out of nowhere, usually from the east, usually from the Central Asian steppe, but not always, come across the Danube or the Rhine or something. Um, and they mean to, yeah, kill everyone and take all the land because they need it for themselves. There are whole people on the move. Um, although... You know, it's not like that's unheard of in the 15th or 16th century. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the, the highlight of Machiavelli's life, things like that, like that happening to central Italy. Um, but, yeah, of course that's sort of much more um, bloody. There's much, much more misery to be found there. Yes. Um, so he would have, Machiavelli would have uh, been quite familiar with the other type of war where your princes fight each other over who gets to collect the taxes sort of thing. Yes. M more of that, really. He, he gives um, some interesting examples of the, the, the wars of, con of genocide. Um, he gives the example of the Gauls going into the Po Valley in Spain, uh, where they just up their entire civilization and wipe out whoever was there first. And um, the Syrians, or whoever was in Canaan before Moses takes the Israelites into there, apparently fled to North Africa. I'd never even heard this before, but apparently they'd fled to North Africa. And so when the Romans arrived in North Africa, they, they find monuments that apparently have inscriptions on them that we fled before Joshua or something. I've never heard of this. So I, I don't know how true that is, but he's got a couple of, you know, you know fair examples that definitely yeah. happened in the case of the Gauls anyway. And of course, it doesn't have to be within Machiavelli's life for no, him no. to be aware of it. So for example, the Mongol invasions... And the, the career of Timujin, or something like that, or Timur, Timur the Lame, mm. uh, uh, or, or, or Kublai Khan, or something, 
or Attila the Hun. Yeah. Well, there's there's lots of examples. <laughs> there's lots of lots of, <laughs> too, many, really. of examples, yeah. too many really. Um, yeah, or just giant movements of uh, Visigoths or, yeah. or Vandals. Um, well, he, he explains in it that's exactly how all of the Western kingdoms came to be. It's the entire movements of the entire tribes. So hundreds of thousands of people set up. Germany, uh, France, Lombardy, England, you know, he mentions them all. He's actually surprisingly accurate with his genealogies as well and, and like naming conventions and things like that. I was quite surprised because he's writing a long time ago. He's writing 500 years ago. Yeah. So the fact that he gets all of this right and we agree with him all in the modern day is really impressive. Mm. It's funny that you said before that usually it happens from the East because mm. this is also what he, he says. But he says also that one of the reasons why the uh, people from the East during his time didn't invade Rome and Italy was because of Hungarians, Poles and Germanic tribes mm. in, in that. Uh, and he says that they were really fierce fighters and they were sort of defending uh, yeah. themselves and by implication others they Yeah, they, they, they brag it. about it. Yes, they, they're the ones who are preventing yeah. Rome from having to deal and with the Hun. He was talking about uh, Tartars, hmm. and w wasn't it the infamous Scythia before that? Uh, the steppes and yeah, yeah, all the Tartars, the Alans, the Mongols. Uh, this, uh, yeah, all Scythian. Um, yes. Another thing to mention, though, sort of, of course, in the time of Machiavelli, uh, was the rise of the Ottoman. Yes, or the um, I mean. They took Constantinople um, when he was minus sixteen. Uh, yeah. So, so right. Yeah. So shortly before he was born. Yeah. So he was born into a world where the Ottoman Turk mm. is uh, just a, a terrifying power, just out to the east. That is really that is usurped a, a giant Christian power base. Yeah. Um, and so you know all through the late. 15th century and 16th century, most of Europe, all the way up to England and things, uh, had this idea that there's just this terrible abomination has happened yes. in Constantinople and that there's a, there's a sultan yes. in Constantinople um, and that at some point, surely, that we and God collectively will turf them out because yeah. uh, that's the way it's got to be because mm -hmm. we, you know, we still know this, they're still there to this day. Um, but, um, uh, so that would have been a thing. And as you mentioned, sort of the Hungarians and, and people like that, um, even the Italian states, um, people like more like Venice and Genu Genoa and all sorts of people sort of kind of endlessly or on and off, but also kind of endlessly fighting with the uh, Ottoman expansion up through Greece and the Balkans and into yeah. Central Europe. Um, and the Ottomans then, I, I think, did one of the mistakes that Machiavelli thinks are mistakes of warfare because they were fighting simultaneously with Europeans and the mm. Safavid Persians. And this is one uh, mistake, according to Machiavelli. He thinks if they had carefully studied Roman history, they wouldn't mm. make it. Mm. Well, this is why he said the Romans had more temples to fortune than anything else. Because yeah. mm -hmm. he, he, he thinks that they put it down to their own good luck and they didn't have to engage in two giant wars at once. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.